Great. If we could have the first PowerPoint slide up, just a background picture for Freedom Sunday. Uh, the other one. Perfect. So um, this Sunday, we're joining with thousands of churches um, around the world, across the denominations, to pray into this issue of modern slavery. So the video we just watched about the work of IJM, they've developed an initiative to devote a day to pray for the end of um, modern slavery, and for freedom for the captives, um, for the thousands of men, women, and children around the world, um, and including on our doorstep, who have been exploited either through forced labor or sexual exploitation. We're going to devote some time later in the service to pray as a family, to bring hope to those who are oppressed as a result of modern slavery, and also to bring the power of God into the efforts of all those who are working to bring an end to modern-day slavery and the trafficking of humans. And we're also going to pray that those who traffic people come to a place of conversion and repentance. But first, we're going to spend some time learning about God's heart for justice and the role that we, as his hands and feet, can play in bringing his justice, whether it be to our families or our places of work, or to the overwhelming global issues like modern slavery. Um, Kate asked me a few months ago if I would get involved with Freedom Sunday, and that was really because I had talked to her about how justice and prayer together are two aspects of the Christian faith that I have always been particularly drawn to. I'm a barrister, um, and I've spent a lot of time working on issues to do with justice, and the promotion of human rights in various countries around the world. And I've also worked with some of the international government organizations that are involved in maintaining and promoting peace and security. I didn't plan on becoming a barrister. Um, that wasn't my first career choice. But um, just as I became a Christian, um, something incredible happened. This was back in 1999, 2000. And for some reason, I was really disturbed about the issue of sanctions in Iraq and the impact that the sanctions were having on innocent um, civilians. Sanctions were meant to target the Iraqi leadership, but instead, innocent civilians were suffering, society was crumbling, and physical suffering was endemic. The injustice of the situation broke my heart, and so I started to pray about it and ask God for opportunities to get involved. From that, I started talking to people who were, um, had links to Christians in politics. And from that, um, a small Christian charity agreed to fund me a few days a week to develop a campaign to get churches involved in praying about the issues around sanctions in Iraq and the impact that they were having on um, innocent civilians. For some reason, the campaign attracted um, a lot of interest, um, not just from churches, but also politicians, members of the House of Lords, journalists, and some other NGOs. And the 10th anniversary of when sanctions had been put in place happened to fall on a Sunday. So we decided that we would develop a national day of prayer and get loads of churches involved in praying for their issue and praying for an end to the sanctions. Um, a lot of churches got behind the idea, both in the UK and overseas. And um, also, the day generated a lot of media interest, which I found particularly exciting because I got to do a live studio interview at BBC, which was very exciting. <laughs> 
Um, it was such an exciting time to see this sort of prayer movement grow and to see what happens when we step out and offer God what we can do um, and invite him to, to maximize it and to, to mushroom it. As a result of the success of that campaign, people encouraged me to go into law and um, once I had qualified as a barrister, I started seeking out opportunities that would enable me to get involved in overseas projects that sought to bring rights and freedoms to people who weren't able to advocate for them for themselves. And that really was the start of a journey to understand how God's heart for justice can interact with what we can do, but also how prayer can make a massive difference to some of the global issues that um, are going on around us. So, turning to modern slavery, what do, mean, what do we mean when we talk about modern slavery? Worldwide, it's estimated that about 40.3 million men, women, and children are trapped in modern slavery. And it happens in all parts of the world, including the UK. And although a lot of it is in the context of the sex industry, it is not just confined to the sex industry. People are also enslaved in manufacturing, agricultural and building labor, domestic servitude, forced begging, and even in some cases, forced organ donation. Many people who end up being enslaved are looking for legitimate work, and traffickers prey on this desire to improve their lives and often deceive people into coming with them to another country or a city far away from where they, their home is with the promise of a good job. And it's only on arrival that victims discover that the truth is that they've been forced into prostitution or forced into half harsh working conditions with all their documents taken away. The fact of trafficking is often made possible because of an absence of functioning structures of law and order in the countries from which people are seeking to find a better life. And perpetrators are often in a position to bribe officials and in some circumstances, security and law and order forces are also complicit in the trafficking process themselves. As the video said, those who are living in poverty tend to be disproportionately at risk, particularly by the offers of an opportunity to lift themselves and possibly their families out of destitution. Pope Francis describes human trafficking as a crime against humanity. And Archbishop Justin Welby describes modern slavery as a huge and daunting challenge, but one which churches must face. And although we often think about modern slavery and trafficking as an overseas issue, it's also happening on our doorstep. In 2016, just under 4,000 men, women, and children were rescued from modern slavery in the UK. The victims were mainly from Albania and Vietnam, but from all over the world, and included people who had been trafficked from within the UK itself. Justin Welby talks about the victims of modern slavery being hidden, but in plain sight. They're the people washing our cars at pop-up car washes, migrant fruit pickers, the women who work in the many nail bars here in our city. But at the heart of this issue is deception, and greed, a perception that human beings are commodities and the exploitation of the vulnerable. And those who are its victims suffer immeasurable physical and emotional harm. 
So faced with this heinous crime, how can we as Christians respond? We need to start first by reminding ourselves that the God we believe in is a God who is passionately concerned about bringing justice to this world and is a God who associates himself with the vulnerable and the marginalized and the abused. So let's look at what the Bible tells us about God and his heart for justice. Whether it's in Exodus and the story of rescue from captivity for the Israelites, or the book of Isaiah, or the Psalms, we see that God's vision for human beings is that all human beings live in harmony and love with each other, that there is respect and support for one another, that we just don't work for the profit of someone else, but that we work for the benefit of us, that we get something back for the work that we do. And that those who are living on the margins of society will be assisted by the community of believers. Throughout the Old Testament, God is repeatedly calling his people to defend the rights of the poor and needy, to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, to advocate for the rights of all who are destitute, and to take steps to protect the widow, the orphan, the alien, and to show mercy and compassion to others. God is saying, these people matter, and it matters to me that my people do something to help the most vulnerable and marginalized people in society. And arguably, the very basis for justice starts with the fact that every single human being is made in the image of God. And therefore, to treat anyone as less than fully human is to offend the image of God, which is present in every human being. And it is from this holy identity common to every human being that we shouldn't exploit others as property or treat them as commodities. And it is also from that holy identity that we have a responsibility to help those who are exploited by others, including those caught in modern slavery. In other passages, we see God associating himself with a commitment to intervene, to end injustice. In Psalm 10, the psalmist starts by asking, where is God in times of trouble? But the psalm finishes by saying that God hears the voice of the afflicted. He encourages them and listens to their cry. God defends the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. And in Isaiah 61, a passage which is well known, we read about the coming of the year of the Lord's favor, a foretelling of a coming time, a servant anointed by the Holy Spirit to administer God's justice on earth, to bring forth a time of good news for the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to bring release from darkness for the prisoners. And then with the coming of Jesus, that coming time arrives, that promised time arrives. In Luke 4, verses 14 to 20, we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, 
and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus in the synagogue at the launch of his ministry identifies himself as the servant of the Lord prophesied in Isaiah 61, whose mission is to bring God's justice to this world. So the ending of oppression, the ending of exploitation, the bringing of freedom for all who are in captivity, a part and parcel of God's mission in reconciling man to himself and rolling back the powers of evil and darkness. So knowing that doing something about injustice is part of God's mission, what does that mean for us as co-heirs with Christ, as his hands and feet in the period of time which is now the now and not yet? We know that the finality of the cross and resurrection has achieved God's justice, but we're living in a time where evil and darkness is present but being pushed back. In the book of James, which we're all intimately familiar with because of a sermon series we've just had, um, we see that James is repeatedly calling the body of believers to action. In James 1, verse 27, we read that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So again, there is this call to engage with the most vulnerable and marginalized groups among the society in which the early church found itself. In Hebrews 13.3, we read, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. So there, the church is being called to have compassion, to stand with those who are afflicted. And so for me, I think part of the call on our lives, given our identity as co-heirs with Christ, is to be alert to the injustices going on around us, to do what we're able to do to take a stand against them, and to do what we can to bring mercy and dignity to the victims of those injustices. And I believe that when we as Christians engage in social justice, whether it's volunteering at the yard or committing to pray for an end to modern slavery, it represents a powerful revelation to those we come into contact with of the love that God has for all people. And I have a sense, um, Neil will correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, that when we take a stand for whatever injustice or wrong that we see going on around us, we're bringing an aspect of God's kingdom to earth, and that as God's kingdom invades earth, that's when we see injustice shrink to the edges. So going back to the issue of modern slavery, um, for me, it's interesting to see that there are a number of Christian organizations, both here in the UK and around the world, like IJM, who have really taken the lead in combating this global crime of modern slavery. 
Their actions and prayers brought the issue to the doors of governments. And governments in the last 10 years have really started to engage with this issue. And now we're seeing big businesses begin to play a significant role in combating modern slavery. And I suspect that a lot of that, um, the momentum behind this movement is thanks to the prayers of people like Gary Haugen, the founder of IJM, who saw that something was wrong and decided to, to step in and um, engage with it and wrestle with the issue in prayer. So how do we as a church then take this um, capacity to engage with God's heart for justice and, and turn it into action? Clearly, as a church, we're involved in a number of different ways um, in engaging with social justice, um, particularly the work we do through the yard and our support for organizations like um, Eden, the charity out in Myanmar that is working with uh, the victims of trafficking there. And our focus today is seeking to bring an end to uh, modern slavery. Um, as I mentioned at the start, the figures are huge. 40.3 million people worldwide caught up in it. Um, and it's easy when we're trying to engage with um, issues such as this to feel overwhelmed, to feel hopeless, and to question what difference our prayers can actually make. But I think the, the work of IJM and, and really where it is today is testimony for the fact that when we step out, when we get involved and it starts with prayer, then things happen, things begin to change. And every now and then we see a glimmer of hope. Something inexplicable happens which helps us to persevere and carry on in prayer and see opportunities where we can do something and we can make a difference. Um, we're going to move into a time of prayer now as a family, but I just wanted to end with um, what I find a brilliant example of the difference prayer can make to an intractable situation. So if we could have the photo of the two ladies up now. Um, so this is where I'll get emotional. Um, so these two ladies um, are from Iran and... Um, they um, didn't grow up Christian. They grew up um, uh, as Muslims. They converted to Christianity, and they were evangelizing in Tehran. And unfortunately, in Iran, being a Christian is a criminal offense. Well, no, being a Christian isn't a criminal offense. Converting from Islam to any other religion is a criminal offense which carries life imprisonment or a sentence of death. Um, these two ladies were arrested and imprisoned in one of the most harsh prisons in Tehran. And a charity that they were linked to just started to email every church they had connections with and asked the people to pray. And as someone who's familiar with the culture in the Middle East, um, I had zero faith that my prayers would make a difference for these two uh, ladies. I suspected that they would be convicted and would spend the rest of their life in prison. However, um, I joined with churches throughout the world uh, to pray about these two people. And after 259 days in 
prison. They were released, um, and they were allowed to leave Iran. Um, so this, for me, is a brilliant example, and an example I come back to when I need faith to engage in a big global issue that demands my prayers. So, as a family, let's move into a time of prayer now. You'll see that dotted around um, the church are a couple of prayer stations that touch on different issues relating to modern slavery and human trafficking. You'll also see on the seats around you that there are some resources that you can use um, to pray into. And we're going to spend about 10, 15 minutes just walking around the stations, sitting where you are, praying with a group of people if you want to, and then we'll come back at the end for, um, to close our prayers in worship and to move into a time of ministry. Thanks. Thanks.